Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the... uh Oh, the the tyrant of taste, Washington. <laughs> that kind of makes me sound bad, but I tell you, it is a kind of a war between being between staying sober and enjoying yourself to the fullest. Um, but hey, it's really easy when you get an Uber or a designated driver. So heck, don't worry about it. Uh, be sure to hydrate. Don't wear perfume and um, eat something before. But of course, uh, to give us the whole lowdown on Taste Washington, because March is Taste Washington month and drink Washington wines, um, you know, in moderation, of course. Uh, I only drink too much in moderation, actually, is what <laughs> I like to say. Uh, but I have two of the staff here from the Washington State Wine Commission, uh, Avril Dunn and Chantal Lucebrink. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Chris. My pleasure. Uh, it's Saturday night. Heck, I can be in studio with two lovely ladies and talking about wine and food. So, Taste Washington uh, started at the Paramount Hotel, I think, back, what, 1987? 22 years ago. All right. How That's about right. that? So, we are celebrating the 22nd anniversary of, of this huge, booming industry that is not only wine, but it's um, beverage and hospitality and, of course, restaurants. So, uh, it's a four-day event now. It's definitely improved, and it's always improving, I but it's definitely uh, expanded. So let's talk about Thursday night. What's happening on Thursday, March 20? 28th. 28th, okay. Yeah, so the full festival is Thursday, March 28th, and it runs all the way through Sunday, March 31st. So we kick off with um, Thursday night's uh, Red and White Party, which is hosted by Aqua by El Gaucho right down there on the waterfront. They should really call it Red, White, and Pink because then you can have like medium rare (laughs) steak (laughs) bites, which would be pink. All right, Aqua. Yeah, I think the team has some awesome um, bites planned, some sensational seasonal culinary seafood coming from uh, the great Puget Sound and also some awesome bites from Chef uh, Benner, who's now down there at Aqua by El Gaucho. We have a lot to celebrate, including a lot of Washington wines, which you're going to be able to try and taste. What's the format? Yeah. Uh, It's a walk around tasting. So you've got all of the people behind the wines standing there with their wines. And then Aqua's got a bunch of bites set up everywhere. You wear your best. You walk around, you taste the best, and you sip the best. Is it upstairs in Aqua or is it in the... It's all downstairs and weather providing. uh, Permitting. Permitting. It opens up to the outside and actually you can go outside. Oh, neat. Yeah. Well, that's fun. So uh, tickets for that event. And that's a special event. And when we think about tickets, obviously, um, we understand that for Taste Washington, it's all a benefit. Right? Aren't we benefiting somebody? Washington Wine Commission and the, the uh, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're benefiting the consumers that attend by providing them with the best of the best from the Pacific Northwest, if that's what you mean. Okay. And supporting our local industry, so hospitality, our restaurateurs, and our wine industry. So getting the message out that there is something for everyone in Washington, and Seattle is a great hub to do that in. So how many uh, tickets are available for Thursday? Red, white, and pink. <laughs> <laughs> The red and white party at El Gaucho. Yes. Um, you know what? What are we, I, what are we at 150? Is yeah, it, I think we're at 150. Is that El Gaucho or Aqua? Aqua, Aqua. by El Gaucho. 
It's at Aqua, so it's on the waterfront this Correct. year. Correct, yes. Okay, this is good. This is good. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> he said, Chantel said, uh, El Gaucho. Uh, and of course, the McKay family has uh, been uh, expanding their enterprise, yeah. their empire, I should say, uh, including to the corners of the state and Walla Walla. Right. So uh, tickets are available where? At uh, Taste Washington. .org. How about that? Um, what a deal. Well, that's a fun event. I know that it it's, uh, used to be Magnums, right? In the, in yeah, original. exactly. Good memory. Uh, this year, what we're doing is we're having all the invited Washington winemakers bring something that they can only find in their cellar. Oh. So it's kind of, it adds a little bit of that eliteness, and it's not something that just the general <laughs> consumer can get. It's something that's really special to the winemaker that they pull from their cellar. You could be the 1% actually at this particular <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> this event. Uh, that's really fun. So it's Thursday night. What time does it start? Starts at 7 p.m. and goes until 10 p.m. Excellent. Tickets are about. Uh, tickets are one seventy five each. All right, yeah. exactly great. 175. Exactly one seventy five. <laughs> I mean, dinner at El Gaucho can can uh, actually uh, be about the same. And if you got enough bites, so just have a little a late lunch, a little late snack, and then you come down here. And I would say, first of all, have a couple of sips of wine, then dive into some of the great food there, and be sure that uh, you're sated, and then take your time. And it's not it's okay to spit because uh, you got about f- how many winemakers will be there? Thirty. 40? Thirty this year. Thirty. Yeah. So that's basically a whole bottle of wine. And then you go back and taste some more. And uh, that's pretty neat, though, to have special uh, gems from their cellar. Yeah. So Friday, uh, Friday is like the big ticket. Yeah, Friday the fun keeps going. All so right. Friday is a full day. So you start off, you've got farm tours in the morning on this awesome little new addition to Taste Washington Festival called Taste Washington on the Farm. So Taste Washington, the entire festival, really brings together all of these purveyors across Washington State and highlights the best that they have to offer. The farm is a bit focused experience of that. So you go out to a local farm, you meet with the farmer, you get your boots dirty, you walk around the farm, you've got a local winemaker there and a local chef. And together, the three of them host and put on this farm lunch on a farm. And this is one event at one location, right? So there's not multiple farms. There are two farms offered oh, this year. Are. But it's a, they're both offer, happening at the same time. So you, you have to choose one. I see. That's right. So um, the two farms that are yeah. happening this year are actually Oxbow Farms, and that's going to be food farming and cultivating roots. And that one still has tickets to it. The Fall City Farms today, we figured out that that one just sold out. So definitely get your tickets while we have them for the Oxbow Farms. Um, but we're excited that this year, um, Musang Fa- Seattle founder Melissa Miranda will be the chef that's there. And Avril, did you want to talk yeah. a little bit about the winemakers? We sure. will have not three. But four Washington winemakers present on this farm. We will have Nina Beauty from Beauty Winery. Yay. Um, Kelly Hightower from Hightower oh, Cellars. Red Mountain. That's right. Um, and then we will have uh, the Three Rivers Winery uh, winemaker. And then also new, we will have Novelty That's Holly Turner. Thank you. <laughs> Novelty Hill Janik is going to be sending a representative. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's uh, Mike Janik's son. Is it Andy yeah. or Andrew? They're Rochambeauing about who is going to actually show up to the oh, fun. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, they whoever gets the short straw is going to be the winner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? That sounds fun. So rain or shine, though, right? And we'd expect That's March right. to be uh, with... Well, the weather is just perfect. I'm sure this cold front will, will have moved on. And um, Do you drive yourself, or is there a bus? 
Great question. So the pr- the cost of your ticket includes transportation to and from the farm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we will be meeting at Filson down in South Seattle. Oh, yeah. And we'll do a proper check-in. We've got Treveri Bubbles to welcome you to kick off the morning coffee, pastries. We load the buses, take you out to the farm, and then at 3 o'clock we drive you back into the city. Oh, right. So it is lunch. Excellent. Yeah. And that's a Friday, great at Friday afternoon, which right. means you're just back in time for a happy hour. That's right. <laughs> Excellent. So this is all the prelude. We got the Thursday red white party at uh, Aqua by El Gaucho. Of course, Friday is uh, two farm lunches, but only one still available. And then Saturday and Sunday are the grand tastings and the seminars. But, but we're, we're not, not done on done Friday. Friday. What? There's so much more. Oh, on you Friday. said it does go all day. Okay, no, tell it, me more. You can not tell only me spend more. Tell me more. <laughs> you can not only spend all day with us on the farm, but you can spend all night with us and taste right. Washington. So, for the first time this year, and this is brand new, we're actually having a cannabis wine dinner starting at 6 p.m. hosted by the one, the only wine director and of. Director of Wine and Spirits, Nelson at Canlis. He's hosting a very intimate uh, dinner for everyone. Um, <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> that, the uh, first 30 people that buy tickets. The first 30 people that buy tickets. The first billion. Um, to uh, the best Washington wines you've never heard of. It's a full dinner um, that'll feature those wines selected exclusively by Nelson, and it's going to be an awesome event. That's there. neat. It's nice just to have um, a person, a candidate like uh, Nelson, who Nelson DeKip, who's, the, who's been a stalwart uh, sommelier here in Seattle and actually has been around the world and done some winemaking uh, for for canless, not only champagne and dessert wines, but he gets to use all that knowledge about the world of wine and to select wines from Washington State that really, um, well, that people don't know and yet are certain gems. Because if you go to that list, that list is the new Bible of Washington wine and, of course, international wine. But it's a thick book, and sometimes it's hard to thumb through it unless, you know, because everyone's, like, waiting for you to pick. And you just want to do some reading. But it's great to have Nelson pick them out. So uh, 36 tickets. Um, and I know some people think Canlis is, is, could be expensive, but this sounds like it's a deal. Yeah, absolutely. It's $225 per seat at this dinner, which is awesome. You get all the ambience, the great food from Canalis, these awesome wines like you were talking about. It's really an amazing deal for anyone who's been wanting to experience this iconic restaurant um, right over you know, the Seattle skyline in uh, Lake Union. Yeah, Guestworks Park. Uh, and I, I imagine you do drive yourself or you do Uber yourself to this one. We like Uber. We like Uber a we lot. Right. <laughs> we like Lyft, too. Lyft. Yes, we do. <laughs> and and uh, Yellow cab, actually. Any way, any way you can get there when you're not driving. That way, you can really enjoy yourself and um, no less stress. Is really something about we think about. Oh, I can't take the next sip because I got to drive home, and so that's like two hours later before you leave. Uh, all right, so did we go through Friday. Or is there something even more? Not even, mm, not even. So for those who are not going to be going to the Canlis dinner, no problem because we have the new vintage planned. So from seven to ten, we um, it's geared towards the. How would you say it? More lively wine drinkers. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's new at the Sanctuary this year, right. which is right up on 7th. Right next to the Rainier Club. That's I remember right. very well. Incredible venue. Mm-hmm. I mean, surrounded by 60-foot high ceilings, a former church that, you know, held um, parishioners. In well, they early... drank wine in church. Yeah, I mean, they come did. on. <laughs> in early sense. Seattle, it's such a historic building. It's going to be really cool this year with multiple levels of food, wine, charcuterie. There's chefs. going to be chefs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's going to be so much. There's also going to be oysters being shucked. So this is going 
going to be one heck of a good time this year. And of course, there's going to be some awesome uh, wine and cocktails served at the Halo Bar, which is up top. So definitely mingle. Okay, so we've got lunch on the farm. We've got the canless wine dinner. And of course, we've got uh, the the new vintage vintage. that Friday night at the Sanctuary. And tickets for all these events and programs are at tastewashington.org. Correct. Correct. All right. So the weekend. No. Now, I mean, if you still want more, we got the wait. We're not even. We're not even done with Friday, Chris. You're kidding. No. Oh my. Because for the first time, you don't have to stop the party at the New Vintage. There is a Lexus late night event hosted by Eduardo Jordan at Solare this year for the first time ever, and uh, those tickets are two hundred and twenty-five dollars, but they include access to the New Vintage early, and they include free shuttle service by Lexus um, in some cool cars over to Solare from the sanctuary so it's going to be an incredible event you get to mix and mingle with some really great industry folks at solare Um, highly recommended definitely check it out and it's a great package deal for friday night it sounds fantastic i remember reading it and thank you for refreshing my memory I I, i can't believe that taste washington has evolved so much that you can spend one two three four five i mean so many new events um and as always uh the saturday and sunday both have seminars at the four seasons on first avenue uh i think they're each three wine seminars you can choose from all happening at the same time unfortunately uh because we want to get you down to taste washington at centurylink convention center or centurylink field actually it's indoors uh, um, and that starts at 1, isn't it? Or 2? 1.30 is the VIP? early VIP admission, general admission tickets start. That entry is 2.30 p.m. at Centralink Field and Event Center. Um, so Goes till? Goes till 6.30 this year. Really? Yes. Taste Washington is, uh, I love this expansion. The universe is expanding so much their times. Um, and it's good that we don't have daylight savings time yet, so we get that built-in hour. Uh, it's actually free. <laughs> All right, that's so, what it is. Um, so two hundred. I mean, they haven't expanded that event. I mean, because the floor plan's great. It, it's it's nice and wide. Uh, there's plenty of. You know, what I'd love to see is bring your own fork. <laughs> right. Just think right? of how much plastic we'll save. That's true. Seriously, so that should be part of our campaign. Uh, so let's recap it. It's Thursday is the red and white party at Aqua Bay Gaucho. Friday is the lunch on the farm, the uh, canless wine dinner, the uh, new vintage, and the uh, Lexus after party. Right. Of course, Saturday and Sunday, uh, the seminars at the Four Seasons, and of course, Taste Washington at the Clink. Yeah. <laughs> Got it? Yeah. Absolutely. And tickets are available at? TasteWashington.org. How about that? Hey, everybody. It's Taste Washington Month. Drink Washington wine and have a good time that weekend. And as always, be sure you got your your uh, your ticket to ride, uh, Uber, taxi, etc. April and uh, Chantel, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you Thank so you. much for having us. Happy Woo-hoo. Taste Washington Wine Month. <laughs> Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m., KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Uh, hope you enjoyed <laughs> Everill and uh, Chantel's show. Talk about Taste Washington. So much going on Thursday through Sunday. Check it out, tastewashington.org. But if perhaps you're not into wine uh, that weekend, you might be into spirits. And there's a really cool new distillery as they all pop up here in Washington, Pacific Northwest. Uh, Matt Glenn is the owner, founder of, of Washer, uh, Malter, Masher of Highside Distilling. Uh, Matt Glenn, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks for having me. Um, pleasure. Uh, I know we connected on online in the Washington State Bartenders uh, Guild Forum, which is always yep. cool. Great to be uh, connected that way. But I, I, I'd never heard of your distillery, and I feel like I'm the person who should be knowing about it. I'll tell, let's talk about uh, Highside. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we're a small family-run distillery out on Bainbridge Island. Uh, it's me and my folks, uh, two parents out there running the show, day-to-day operations. So everywhere from production to sales, marketing, everything in between. So you and mom and dad are doing that? That's correct, yeah. <laughs> I pulled them out of a uh, couple years of retirement and now put them back to work 80 hours a week. And Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. not, not quite that bad. Sweat equity. It's right. Exactly. So, uh, high side distilling, who had the bug? Who was interested in, um, you know, not, I want more out of my beer. I want to take the alcohol out of that wart. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned beer, actually. We uh, we got our, our start in beer, so... Uh, my dad and I have been homebrewing beer for forever. It's um, a gateway drug, I hear. It, it totally is. <laughs> uh, he actually encouraged me to get my first job, which was at Mac and Jack's Brewing back in high school. Um, All right. So, in Redmond. Uh, out in Redmond, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah, that so. building. I was a cellarman for them for uh, a couple of summers, just working weekends. Um, and uh, kind of caught the bug that way. Moved out to Boston for work. Wait, you were in high school? After high school? It was in high school, yeah. It was the first time they hired- Did you drink beer there? I uh, can't comment on that. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, I was, I think, the first employee they had that was under 21. Um, but I was a cellarman, washing kegs, cleaning kegs, filling kegs, um, running tours, things like that. So. Okay. Interesting. So there's no law that you can't be 21 when you're working in a brewery that pr- produces alcohol. That's correct. I'm not sure it's the same for distilled spirits, but uh, oh, at right. least at yes. that time for breweries, for it, sure. It was. Well, Mac and Jack's is is one of the uh, beloved uh, beers of the African Amber. It's got a niche all its own, and I certainly had drink plenty of pints of that. Yeah. Uh, the name High Side. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, kind of the idea behind our brand is that we're inspired by tradition, but born here in the Pacific Northwest. So, the name itself is actually inspired by tradition. Uh, High Side comes from Highlands and Speyside, which are two regions in Scotland where we get a lot of our inspiration and where. Um, you know, single malt whiskey is, is super well known and super well respected. So, wait, how do you get that inspiration? You just like open a bottle and pour some <laughs> whiskey, Uskabe? Not not quite that easily, no. But uh, <laughs> I actually had the the fortune of um, of uh, working when I was out in Boston, having a, a job where it allowed me to travel internationally for a while. So I was wow. traveling quite a bit to the Netherlands and and did a few side trips out to Scotland. And um, I had always been a big fan of whiskey. And you know, if you're a fan of of beer, you know, whiskey comes from great beer, so right. it kind of was a natural progression for me. And um, you know, after visiting Scotland a couple of times, you know, it really solidified the fact that you know I wanted to to make whiskey and make booze. And you figured Isla was just too uh, worn and uh, brutal and brutish and uh, a little peaty. Uh, we actually do intend to make uh, a couple of peated varieties. So um, is that from good homegrown Northwest peat? Uh, hopefully at some point, if we can get our hands on some, some, there's gotta be some, we're just as old as they are. Yeah. There actually (laughs) are some, uh, some peat bogs in the state. Uh, I know Westland distillery down in Soto is, is doing some, some trial runs with, uh, with some whiskey from Washington peat. So, um, hopefully that presents the opportunity for us as well in the future. That's fine. What's the website? Uh, highsidedistilling.com. Excellent. And you brought three uh, expressions today. Let's talk about these. I did. Yeah. So we have three products currently. Um, they're all made from the same base of Washington apples. 
Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we initially were thinking of going the barley route and decided to do something a bit more unique for our gin. That is very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see. So, but the base spirit, and so you must call it something else. You can't actually use the term whiskey or bourbon or... For our whiskey, you're correct. Yeah, for our whiskey, it actually will be made uh, oh, okay. from 100% malted barley. But you have three products here. So well, tell me what the products are, then we'll, we'll connect the dots that they're all base is grape. Uh, sorry, apple. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So the first one's gin. Um, gin can actually be made from any fermentable substrate. So we used apples. Uh, we ferment a hard cider uh, out of Washington apple juice. And uh, Do you and make the hard that. cider or do you buy it? We make the hard cider. Oh, uh, wow. We get the juice, so we're not actually doing a full crush on site sure. um, at this point in time. But we uh, we do have a juice. It's a blend of different uh, apples. We have treetops best. It, exactly. Yeah, it actually does come from treetops. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, by all the <laughs> apples makes sense. That's right. Yep. Uh, so that's the that's the gin. It's uh, three times distilled uh, with ten traditional gin botanicals. All right. So there's four ways to get flavor into a uh, a spirit. Of course, there's maceration, mm-hmm. percolation, uh, steaming or venting, uh, and then adding at the very end. Which do you do? Uh, we are doing the third that you mentioned, so uh, vapor infusion. Uh-huh. Yep. So we're, uh, we're, we have a gin basket on our uh, copper Vendome still um, that vapor infuses all of our botanicals. We actually had it special sized for us uh, to be double the size of their traditional gin baskets uh, so that we could really overload that thing with a ton of botanical essence. How many times do you distill the apple, the mash, the we- apple mash or the, the apple juice? We distill it three times. So it's everything is distilled three times, and then but then you do it again through for the vaporization. The third run is where we actually infuse oh, the botanicals. I see. So the first two are without any botanicals. The third run is where we vapor infuse with the botanicals. It smells very appley. It does. Yeah, you get get a lot of that apple character coming through. Um, I've actually been told by some bartenders uh, that they it reminds them of a bit of a grappa as well, kind of a grappa. It's a little hot, mm-hmm. um, but it's a warm. <laughs> Today's a perfect day to be sipping. Perfect evening, I should say, to be sipping um, this gin. So it's sitting at about. I get coriander, juniper, um, lemon peel. Use orange too. Uh, we use orange peel. Yeah, actually, yeah. no lemon peel. No lemon. That's peel. what it is. Orange. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking where that acid comes from. Um, We're also using uh, green cardamom, uh, bay leaf, uh, rose petal. Bay. Yeah, rose, the bay leaf actually comes, comes out, out too. Really nice in the distillate, uh, and uh, vanilla bean as well. Oh. And some of that heat that you're getting as well, uh, we use uh, cubeb berry, which is a traditional gin botanical, but not uh, not super well known. I kind of think of it as a, a hybrid between a black peppercorn and a clove. It has a really nice peppery finish to it. Um, and that long finish really carries well uh, into cocktails as well. All right, so it is 88 proof, meaning 44 ABV. And I know that when you have some tannin, there's a little bit of tannin here, which dries my palate, that accentuates the idea of heat or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. I like the fact that it's got some apple twang, and um, Cure Gin does that too up north, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Leadholm. you got two brown spirits here. We do, yeah. So these are actually Amaro, uh, just different types of Amaro. So we have a Rebarbaro-style Amaro, which is called Amaro Mealy. Uh, as well as a Fernet, uh, which is called Fernet Lario. Uh, both are made from our gin as the base. Uh, both fairly high proof as well, so they're sitting at 80 proof. Um, yeah, I guess, what, are they 70 usually? Yeah, Fernet's usually higher proof. Uh, generally, most of Marlowe's fall in the 30 to 60 range. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, very herbaceous, very uh, expressive on the nose. Um, it's it's almost like a punch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very very volatile, which means it's coming out at you at all different angles. Yeah. So the main ingredient that we layer into this on top of our gin is uh, Turkish rhubarb root, oh, which wow. gives that really earthy, smoky, almost tobacco type aromas to it. We're also using whole bean coffee, cocoa nibs, bitter orange peel, and then it's lightly sweetened with a bit of Washington honey as well. Mm. Wow, that is very complex. It's very earth-driven, very barky, rooty. Um, 
I'm still. I, it's it's got a long finish. It does. Yeah. It's very it's very soft on the palate. Mm-hmm. I think it's warming, um, and you get past that attack, which I think has got some of that uh, the attack from the, the coffee. Right. You'll get that little bit of bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, once that passed, um, this has got a lot of flavor. And I always like Fernet on the rocks. Everyone likes to drink it straight. I like Fernet on the rocks. I used to drink Jaeger on the rocks. Uh, now I might have uh, Amaro Mele. And awesome. the Mele means what? Uh, it Honey? actually means apples in Italian, oh. uh, and it also happens to be my mother's maiden name. So that was kind of a, a fun tie-in to the family name uh, and has meaning given that it's an apple Excellent. Spirit. Well, the name Glenn, and of course a little bit of red hair, I see. <laughs> he must be <laughs> Scottish. Yep, definitely have some Scottish roots as well. All right. Um, so that's where the uh, the single malt whiskey will come in in a few Good. years. Um, Fernet Lario. And what makes a Fernet then versus an Amaro? So Fernet is typically uh, characterized by mint and menthol. Those are the predominant characteristics you get. Usually much more bitter than most styles of Amaro, uh, oh, yeah, and usually much more alcoholic. So uh, the botanical blend we're using for this is peppermint leaf, mm-hmm. uh, black cardamom, uh, which actually lends a bit of smoke to it, which you don't often find in Fernet. And then aloe ferox, which is uh, also known as bitter aloe, comes from uh, some South Africa, uh, has a really long drying bitterness and some cooling menthol character with that as well. Wow. Um, I think the mint on this is really, really cool. <laughs> no pun intended. <Yeah. laughs> it has a cooling f- effect. It, it reminds does. me of one of those icebreaker commercials. Um, it's lively. Mm-hmm. It actually rejuvena- rejuvenates my palate. Um, and it's not quite as bitter. I think it's bitter on the attack, but the finish is more um, soft to flavorful, and, and it's, it's just got dark notes. Mm. Interesting. That reminds me of nicotine gum. Interesting. <laughs> because I get a tobacco, right? Yeah, you just uh-huh. got some of that those flavors, and that's not in a bad way. It just, I'm just trying to find descriptors to yeah. help it. No, it's uh, good. This is really neat. And so you've been um, in business for one year? Uh, not quite. We've actually, wow. our doors have only been open since the weekend after Thanksgiving. So okay. almost about four months now. And what's the website? Highsidedistilling.com. And you have a tasting room. We go to Bainbridge. We can find you and pop in and, you know, try some Amaro and some Fernet. We do, yeah. So we're about a mile and a half from the ferry terminal okay. um, in the farm business park. So right next door to Eagle Harbor Winery. Um, oh, right. And some other small businesses out there. So, yeah. Awesome. We do cocktails as well um, in the tasting room, small little sampling cocktails and uh, and pours of our our spirits. Well done. And way to come out with in, in a niche. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, to come, everyone's coming out with whiskey, and you will as well, but you're doing something unique with the Pete. Um, but the, the gin, the Amaro, and the Fernet uh, are very interesting and delicious. Um, I think when we get into warmer weather, the gin's going to rock. And uh, these Fernets, I'll have to get a trial, I'll have to get a sample here and, um, you know, wax poetic at the night in my rocking chair. <laughs> Matt Glenn, <laughs> sure. High Side Distilling, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to chat about some international wine and some fun times coming up here on Happy Hour Radio. Regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp. Weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia. Christopher Chan. 
Hey, Seattle, welcome back. Time for round three. I've got four bottles of wine, four glasses of wine, and one cool cat in the studio. Uh, you ever think about French wine? We're always hearing about how the new new French wines are coming out. Each vintage is great, the best one ever. Um, then we talk about the best wines in the world. They're always the old vintages, right? They open the 45, the uh, 61, the, the uh, 89, etc. Um, today I've got uh, Brian Mota, who is a partner in a company called The Wine Trust, and they actually have a fantastic business model for me, for the consumer, because they have back vintages of Bordeaux. Uh, let's talk about it. Brian Moda, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, The Wine Trust, founded in 1973. My birth year, coincidentally. Okay, I was going to say, it was your partner, so way to rise <laughs> through the ranks. <laughs> I was too young to be involved at birth, but uh, my partner and I acquired the company from the founder about a decade ago. Okay. And the company had historic roots in Bordeaux, and we've obviously built it out since then. But the kernel of the idea was to acquire Bordeaux upon release and seller it for some period of time, and then offer uh, exceptionally provenanced uh, single-owner back-vintage wine to the market that was ready to drink. That's great, because we know that through some of the books that are the movies and documentaries that come out, that wine fraud is, is a big deal here in the world, uh, whether it's Italy, Spain, uh, or France, um, even America, I guess, but that seems weird. I guess there's probably a lot of Colgan coming out, but how would you know? Um, so you've got old vintages, but that business model, it sounds like it would take a lot of capital. Well, one, we've obviously expanded, and it's not just uh, a Bordeaux-only model anymore. This is probably the part that is most distinct for us relative to the hundred plus or so other wholesalers that are banging on uh, the trade's door. Right. There's also something called the gray market. And so you're not necessarily the gray market. Gray market is actually like third party wines, right? Gray market is a misnomer. It doesn't really apply to Bordeaux because Bordeaux, in essence, has multiple sources of supply. Right. Bordeaux is sold through negotiants and any one given chateau will not provide an exclusive distribution arrangement to one negotiant, i.e. merchant. They'll provide to multiple merchants. That said, a lot of the way we're acquiring these parcels is direct from the chateau itself. We are knocking on doors and asking to see what they might have downstairs that didn't sell uh, upon release. Ah, très bien. And uh, parlez-vous français? Un peu. Un peu. Je, je parle un petit peu et je comprends un petit peu. All right, enough of that. Um, this is really cool because uh, when you think about back vintages, those tend to have... The best value, because wine seems to get more expensive every year, depending on the vintage. But you can go back and say, you know what, that wine, 10 years ago, this is still a value. So let's talk about some of the wines you brought today. The first wine is? The first wine I bought is a 2009 Chateau Calon, C-A-L-O-N. Not a famous wine, uh, not to be confused with the more prestigious Calon Segur that most customers are aware of. This is from yeah. Saint-Emilion. This is from Saint-Emilion, specifically Montagny Saint-Emilion. One is, of the four satellites? Yes, the, the most uh, western, so it's the, it's the least off the river, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So you, do, you still get some cooling influence here, although there is value here. Um, obviously, 2009 is a vintage that most people recognize as... Uh, having significant uh, accolades from most of the critics. It was uh, the third best vintage of the century. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, you know, again, you're talking about faking wines and fraudulent wines. Uh, one of the great aspects of what we're trying to do here is bring back vintage wines that have great value. So I'd like to say for the price of an ordinary bottle, you're essentially offering a very profound consumption experience 
through a wine that has a decade plus of bottle age on it for the price of an ordinary bottle. Excellent. Um, 09 vintage, nice and warm, very ripe. People, mm-hmm. uh, the critics loved it. Uh, the, the winemakers loved it. They couldn't complain. Uh, and I believe the, the, the 09s actually, to me, ha- have almost peaked, but this one mm-hmm. still has a lot of strength. I'm surprised. So this is interesting. I like this wine because it's not overly 09 y. Mm-hmm. It's actually very classically styled winemaking. A lot of times, acidity. yes, and, and it's very fresh, very ripe. It's not an overdone wine. I think a lot of times you find modern winemaking plus ripe vintages is probably too much, although uh, a, a modern palate might enjoy it. One of the things I like about this and particular does. 09, he does. <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- this 09, I think, offers a, an immense amount of restraint. Uh, it's very clean, very easy drinking, but it does have, uh, for consumers who... Uh, are looking for some pull factor off of a, a restaurant list. It has a safe haven, that being a, an exceptional vintage that's uh, pretty much undisputed. Um, it's really delicious. I'm glad that it's still showing some youthfulness and some great structure, acidity. Uh, to me, um, this is one of better better 09s that I've tasted because I think they were nice and ripe and they got a little flabby. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sells great structure. What restaurants or um, stores carry some of the Wine Trust wines? Oh, I, you're going to put me oh, on the you, spot. Oh, because you're from me. New York. Sorry about that. So I'm going to say it's Esquin, McCarthy, and Shearing. Um, and of course, you'll the the people who have the restaurants will never tell you it's from that wine because they <laughs> think they we've sold it all them, themselves. Um, but that's cool. And and if you go to a, a distributor or sorry a wine store, you can actually ask them to order it. Say, hey, I'm curious about this. I'd like to say that we've made quite a few friends in town. We're, we're probably distributed or represented in most of the major and neighborhood retailers, for that matter. So uh, you can find us. Fantastic. Space Needle, Butcher's Table, Aqua, El Gacho, Daniels, Pike and Western, Rainier Club, University Club, Whole Foods. Wow, this is fantastic. Um, love that wine. You also have an 07, which was kind of a maligned vintage. Which wine is this? So this is uh, one of the sleepers or, uh, let's say, um, <laughs> underrated vintages uh, of the past century, probably. 2007, uh, Haute-Bergie, or Aubergie, if you will, in Pessac Leonian, directly south of the city of Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Uh, broadly Sub-appellation of Grave. That's right. Um, 07, as you are probably rightfully aware, was a completely overlooked vintage, and as I say, it's a vintage that has uh, extreme allergies associated with it. Mm. Um, one of the things I love as a company is uh, debunking those myths and providing epiphany wines for those to realize that an off vintage is actually not off if drunk in the right time frame. Uh, I happen to think that this 07, with you know over a year, a decade or so of uh, bottle age uh, and exceptional provenance, is showing uh, profound nuance uh, in a way that. Uh, I don't think people expect out of a a bad or an off vintage. Right. And the the term off vintage in Bordeaux, I mean, years and years ago, these days uh, with global warming and actually better trellising and better viticultural practices, um, finding ripe grapes is not as difficult as it was in the day. And, of course, you either got odium or you've got um, hail and, and frost uh, there. But you're a maritime climate, so basically it moderates it. And 07 is a still value. What would this be on a wine list? We wholesale this wine for under twenty dollars. Wow. So you're, you know, at a standard. I don't want to insult anyone, but three or four times restaurant sure. markup. You'd you'd be in a date night sweet spot of a sixty to seventy dollars. Yeah, this is like a seventy five dollar bottle of wine, and it's oh seven uh, Pesec Leon, which is great place. Got great gravel, great sense of minerality, uh, delicious. It's probably mostly Cab uh, Cab Franc Merlot, and it's unlike the first wine, which we didn't talk about, which was seventy percent Merlot. This is actually the opposite. This is seventy percent Cab Sauv. Right. Um, it's got strength. Um, tannin is nice and tame. Uh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see a label that says Pomerol, one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> Pomerol's a dirty secret. You have to be careful with Pomerol because <laughs> not every, one of the dirty secrets of Bordeaux, which I'll share for your audience, is that 
if you have a winemaking nexus or hub in Pomerol and you acquire vineyards outside of Pomerol, you are allowed to appellate that wine as Pomerol. Um, oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. So you have to be careful. Uh, not all Pomerols are actually origin within Pomerol, which, as you know, is a fairly uh, Small, concise appellation. Right. This is a four and a half hectare estate. All of the vines are actually within uh, the Pomerol boundary. Uh, again, not a famous property. But what you'll see here is a classic devoted winemaking style that I think marries very well with what Pomerol does best, which is an elegance and a slow evolution and maturity that is, um, I, is it okay to say the word sexy? It, you know, it's probably one of sure. the more, um, I would say it's probably one of the sexy or, or, or flamboyant <laughs> wines, if it you will. It fits everybody's fashion <laughs> of sex. Um, again, so Pomerol is going to be a little more Merlot-driven, right? And this 80 is, Merlot. Yeah. 80% Merlot. But this yeah. is this is powerful Merlot. It's uh, It's got strength, and it's got uh, f- firmness, um, and the fruit is ripe. It's kind of, One of the things we're looking for in these off-vintages is producers who are not afraid to thin or call their yields. That's, where, that's why you're in the 07, you're mm-hmm. getting a lot of concentration that other people... 07 is thought of as a thin vintage. 08, same thing. Very cool. Not as uh, climactically challenging as 07, but 08 was a a very good vintage. But what you needed to do in these uh, cooler climbed vintages is really uh, reduce your yields and concentrate the focus on the best of the best, so to speak. That wine is stellar. That wine is showing beautifully. It's got grace. It's got structure. It's got concentration. And it's got pleasure. Um, Makes me want to take another sip. And Pomerol, I mean, you take... Please do. Just, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I want to save the last wine for our, our final segment here, just as a teaser. Um, but how many wines do you have in your portfolio? Uh, there's about 1,000. 1,000 wines. Yeah. And I know you brought some white wines here, and it's very interesting, but I wanted to taste the reds, because I think you're mm-hmm. best known for having uh, old vintage uh, um, Bordeaux. What are some of the whites you brought? So, obviously, we have historic roots in Bordeaux, but today the portfolio, if you will, uh, includes boutique or artisanal or family-driven producers that I think have something to say. Uh, And I think they have something to say and have likely fallen through the cracks of larger distributors. Sure. So, one of the themes you'll see, if we had more time to taste through all this stuff, is I'm looking for wines that have uh, certified geek cred approval, but also that are consumer-friendly. So a lot of times when you're in the trade, you, you, you follow this um, obscure line towards oblivion, and you forget that the ultimate consumer probably needs something a little more approachable to drink. A lot of the wines that we're featuring outside of Bordeaux, which is its own special category for us, are wines that, 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 that please the consumer as well as the trade. That's perfect. That's a great segue. So hold that thought. We're going to re- reveal these white wines you brought, and I'll t- dive into the last Bordeaux wine. Hey, folks, stick around. I've got Brian Moda, who is the partner of the Wine Trust, founded in 1973, right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, talk radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hey, time for our fourth and final segment. I got four glasses of wine. And Brian Mota, who's a partner in the Wine Trust, we just tasted um, a wine from the Saint-Emilion, a 07 Chateau Auberger, and a uh, 2008 Pomerol Chateau Auferrand. We've got one more Bordeaux to taste, but we were talking about some value whites that are consumer-friendly. Brian, which whites did you bring? I I brought four whites, uh, not to be choosy, but the first is a Savoie. 
an eastern region in France. It's, sure. It's uh, it's 100%. Uh, Petit Mansang? Uh, Jacquere, actually. Oh, Jacquere. Yeah. It's a family-owned estate who's now managed by the grandson. Uh, Savoie in eastern uh, France is, is very vertigous. Uh, the slopes are very challenging. Um, the wine is known for having an alpine crisp style. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of value here. Uh, people associate it with an après ski wine because that's one of the great leisure activities exactly. of the area. But uh, to me, it's a, it's a great example of value because it offers crispness and minerality, but also uh, it, it offers a very pleasing consumer-friendly profile. At a, uh, a And it's an adventure budget. wine. That's pretty neat. It's something uh, off the beaten track. Not that we well, as I say that we're moving to French Chardonnay next. Um, but, <laughs> French Chardonnay, which is probably the number one request I get from restaurants, is what do you got for a glass pour priced white Burgundy? Sure, yeah. impossible. Well, to that's find. called Macon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I have here is a Vire Classe produced by two brothers. Uh, it's called Domaine du Mont Ipin. Um, it's a small estate that straddles actually two appellations, Vire Classe and the lesser known Macon Peron to the west. Mm-hmm. But a Vire Classe, uh, again, offers some minerality and some value in terms of uh, 100% Chardonnay here. Right. And it's a good name to see if you want to give it a try because you can trust that they're going to do a good job typically for yeah. Vire Classe Chardonnay. Uh, and then I brought a, an obscure varietal, Oxera, from an Oregon producer. We do have some Northwest representation in our portfolio. Uh, this is a, an Oxera. Uh, from Raptor Ridge Winery Raptor based in Moramet Valley. Yeah, that's um, a good name. They've done some great Pinots. And Oxera is uh, a wine. That, was that from uh, Oxera Alsace. Loire? Alsace. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Native to Alsace. Okay. It was introduced to Oregon by uh, uh, David Adelsheim, I think. Adelsheim, yeah. sure. Adelsheim uh, Winery. In the 80s. Uh, or- Raptor Ridge has the distinction of being the largest Oxera producer in the United States, from what I understand. They make a whopping six barrels. And there's one in B.C., so I think it's not <laughs> North America, but yeah. Um, but again, an interesting varietal that offers some uh, value relative to the more consumer uh, I like that popular. you brought these, you know, uh, 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 what is it, uh, esoteric grapes, but really wines that are, are friendly. And just don't be afraid of, of how to say it. And yummy to drink, I can assure you. All right. They are very delicious. Last one, quickly. Last wine is a wine from what I would call a new school California producer, Kivelstadt, S-T-A-D-T, Kivelstadt. Uh, it's a white roan blend, Marsan Rusan. From mm. Sonoma Coast. Oh yeah. Well, Marsan is nice, rich, and oily, and Roussan uh, adds a little bit of uh, uh, elegance to the wine. Um, those are fantastic. I bet you they're all under twenty dollars for sure. Am I said about right? Well under. Well under. Fantastic. The last red wine from Bordeaux. Uh, this is something new to your portfolio. Brand new. I haven't even tasted yet. It just landed. Um, it's uh, not to spoil alert, but it's the least expensive wine in the back vintage category that we've ever imported. So I'm a little excited to bring uh, even more value in a category that I think we've defined as having some value-driven age. Uh, it's called Chateau Majence. So it's from Grave. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a less prestigious appellation than uh, the more specific Pessac Leonian property. Uh, and again, we're not talking about a famous property here, but you have a wine that is um, extremely under $20 wholesale, that was hand harvested, hand distemmed, uh, very naturally produced, and aged for over two years in you know less than one third wood. So a very natural, clean uh, wine that I think you will find has uh, some great expression having ten years of bottle age. I can't see the vintage, but it tastes like oh six, oh eight, oh eight, oh eight, oh eight. Because it's got bright acidity. I should say the acidity's not so bright, but mm-hmm. um, it it tastes. Like a 10-year-old wine, to me, I should really say. Classic claret, as they say. Classic claret. Um, that's delicious. All your wines are really good. And that's not... And if I don't like the wine, I probably won't 
talk about it, <laughs> but I'm happy to talk about these. Well, it's tough. We're following the Pomeroy with we the least are. expensive board ever. We are. I left a bunch in my glass. Um, but that tells you something. It shows up. Of course, the, the Sapage is different. Uh, Grav's going to have some more Cabernet. About half cab. Yeah. And um, this is very approachable, so I imagine the rest is probably Merlot um, with maybe a dash of something else. Maybe Petit Verdot, but I don't know. And 3% Merlot, unusually. How about enough. that? Okay. Um, website again, just to go out and, and tickle their fancy. TheWineTrust.com. And so you can peruse your catalog and then go to your wine shop and say, hey, I want to get this wine. Absolutely. Oh, that's so fun. Um, Congratulations. And you've had this business for 10 years? About 10 years. And you get to go to France? (laughs) Occasionally. (laughs) Occasionally. Well, I guess we'll see each other uh, at Vin Expo in May, which is super fun. Uh, Brian Moza with uh, The Wine Trust, founded in 1973. Uh, The the website, again, is TheWineTrust.com? TheWineTrust.com. You got it. That's so fun. You got some fantastic values. Very happy that we finally get to meet. And um, I hope you enjoy your time in Seattle. Thanks so much for joining me. Happy Hour Radio. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, folks. Uh, lots going on in this show. Of course, we got Taste Washington coming up in two weeks, and, and you have to go to at least one event. And I always say you got to go to the Grand Tasting, but be prepared. Um, wear comfortable shoes. Don't wear any any colognes or perfumes, um, and and have be hydrate um, and be sure to eat some food beforehand. And don't be afraid to spit. Grab it. Bring a cup that you can spit into the cup because if you're not used to it, it can be a little messy. And don't wear white unless you're really really bold and just you know look good in white. Uh, that's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!